Hey, ladies and gents, it's Tyson Popplestone here. This is the Relaxed Running Podcast. Welcome if you're here for the first time, or welcome back if you're a regular. Either way, great to have you on board. Picked a good day to come on by as well. We've got Australian distance running stud Matt Clark, who is uh, on the hunt for an Olympic debut in 2021 at the Tokyo Olympics. This guy's a talented runner. I've, I've seen him running around and uh, admired him from a distance for a while in terms of his running performance. He's a, what's he done? He's done 8.38 for 3K steeplechase. He's a 28.30 10K man. He's recently, or not so recently anymore, moved from Victoria to South Australia to train under the guidance of Adam Diddick and the Team Tempo group. I really enjoy this guy. He's a, he's a really good guy. He's very easy to speak to. I, I first met him uh, through some mutual friends a, a few months ago, actually, at an Italian restaurant here in Melbourne, and, and really enjoyed his conversation that night, and always had in the back of my mind that I, I couldn't wait to get him on the show. So I reached out to him last week and asked if he'd be willing, which he was. So it was a really good chat. We, we caught up for about an hour, and uh, it was just a good chance to, to speak to him about all things distance running. I always like to, to hear what you can take away from individual athletes and uh, so we spoke about his his training and his sports psychologist and the impact that that mindset change has had on his running spoke about his move to team tempo and how he's found that the adjustment period uh, we've spoken about his highs and lows along his career and there's just a lot of stuff that all athletes have to deal with at some stage in their career that up and down in performance so i uh, really enjoyed this chat i think you're going to enjoy it too uh, guys, if you didn't know, or if you're not a member yet, we've got a we've got a big membership community now over at relaxrunning.com/join. It's ten bucks a month or eighty bucks for the year. If you want to jump on board, and uh, that's a bonus podcast with man, we've got we've got the best of the best over there. Brett Robinson, um, who we got? Uh, Brett Robinson, Andrew Weeding, Craig Engels, Ryan Gregson, Jess Trengove, just to name a few. We also got physios and exercise physiologists. We've got training programs from uh, you know intermediate, beginner, advanced, all the way from 5K through to the marathon. So oh, I didn't even mention the video library. We've got a growing video library, which is just quietly probably my favorite part of the membership. We catch up with, um, we've had physios, we've had uh, exercise physiologists, we've had athletes, all speaking or walking us through certain exercises, activities that are going to positively impact our running experience. I'm on the hunt at the moment and catching up with him this afternoon, a yoga instructor who is also a distance runner who's going to uh, walk us through a yoga session specifically for distance runners. So if you wanted to jump on board, that's relaxrunning.com slash join. It'd be great to have you on there. We're, we're building a really solid community, so it's great to see that growing. Um, hey, that's enough from me. Let me get out of your way and I'll introduce the great man on the search for his Olympic debut, Matt Clark. guys you're you're still in adelaide at the moment even during lockdown hey yeah well i mean it's not that lockdown here anymore everything's kind of like we haven't had a case now for uh well over a month maybe two months i can't remember exactly but um it's pretty open here it's just at the moment it's just like um i just can't go back to melbourne really is the only thing well you're not actually even allowed to enter melbourne at the moment are you oh so i can i can go to melbourne i just won't be able to come back Ah, uh, interesting. I mean, I can I can come back. I just have to quarantine, and um, yeah, I just wouldn't be able to fit my training in if I if I had to quarantine. Yeah, fair enough. It, dude, it's so funny looking at the uh at the difference between Adelaide and Melbourne at the moment. So I've got a sister who who lives over in Adelaide, and my dad's in Melbourne, and he uh he keeps laughing because he's like, mate, I don't know what's happened to Melbourne, but Adelaide's doing Adelaide's doing something nice. It seems to be the place to be at the moment, hey? Yeah, I mean, I guess we're a bit more fortunate here in the sense that it's a lot smaller. So it's a bit easier to contain an outbreak than it is in Melbourne. Like you've got well, like eight times as many people in Melbourne that you have to control. So there's a lot more, I guess, um, complexity to, around that. So it's a bit easier here, I guess, which is yeah. good. How, how long have you been over there for now? It's like... uh, yeah, since basically since I, I moved into um, like the place I'm in now in the start of Jan, but um, probably since like October, I was going back and forth a bit, kind of doing like small little training stints. But officially moved in like signed a lease at start of jan at this place in it now oh sweet man so what do you got a 12 month 12 month lease so yeah are you there for yeah. good 
Yeah, tw- 12 months late, so we'll just reassess every 12 months. But I can imagine myself probably renewing a little bit um, for a minimum next track season. But I'm loving it here. Like, I've, oh. I've, I've no real calling to, get, like, permanently move back away from here at all. Yeah, it's funny, man. Like, there's a rivalry between – I feel like it's more brutal from Melbourne to Adelaide. I'm not sure how much goes on the other way around. But I, I don't know. I think I told you that I lived there for a year – which is how I met Adam Diddick uh, in back in 2006. And before I left, everyone was like, bro, what are you going to Adelaide for? Like, you know, they give so much crap to... Yeah, I got the, I got the same thing when I, like, told everyone I was moving over. <laughs> Man, people don't know what they're missing. It's like a... I it's know. honestly like a big... It's a big country town. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more slow and a lot more relaxed here, which I really like as well. It's just that, like, it kind of seems like... It, it's got that everyone knows everyone vibe over here. Yep. Is, yeah like i like it and and again like there's no traffic too which is unreal <laughs> oh, honestly if i ever hear one of my mates who lives in adelaide complain about traffic i hang up the phone because i'm like yeah. i've got no idea what you're talking about it's uh it's beautiful and i know you guys are still doing a lot of your training around the the uni loop there yeah yeah it's uh, yep. it's honestly it's adelaide's version of the tan it's way better for reps because you don't have to run up Anderson Street Hill. Yeah. It's, it's man, you're living the dream. I'm, I'm a little bit yeah. jealous. Like, I've got such a soft spot in my, especially because I love Adam Diddick, who I know you're training with. He's one of my best yeah. mates. And um, it's just a, yeah, it, it, it's a place filled with memory. So, like, what are you, what are you enjoying about it apart from how low key everything is? Um, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest highlight. Like, for me, I found like Melbourne was just like full of distractions of like i mean it's awesome it's a lot of fun but i guess when you're trying to do such a sport sport i guess at such a top end you just want to be able to focus as much as you can and i think adelaide allows me to do that a lot better than melbourne Mm. there's always someone like texting in melbourne saying like oh what are you doing on the weekend like let's go do something and over here it's a lot easier just to focus yeah where did you say you're living which part of adelaide are you in Uh, i'm in hyde park so, oh, and that's, that's another cool thing about Adelaide as well. So I'm in, I'm in a suburb Hyde Park. I'm five minutes from the CBD. Like, I'd never be able to afford to live five minutes from the CBD in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> or you'd live in a shoebox. Yeah, exactly. Where's, what's Hyde Park near? I should, I should know that. It's so bad, man. Um, like a... Well, I'm on, I'm on King William Road. So that's the oh, road yeah. runs, like, quite literally through the middle of Adelaide, north to south, south to north. Um, and we're, we're just south of the um, city. It's a little bit of a forgotten group as well. Like I always say, I say to Adam, like I reckon it's it's beautiful for you guys because even though you have such an elite group, um, I think because Melbourne seems to be, a, I don't even want to call it the hub necessarily because you guys have got your own hub over there. But I think uh, like because you've got Bedo's group who are based here in, in Melbourne, I think when people think of like the top distance runners in Australia, a lot of the time you, you jump straight to that. And I reckon it works beautifully for someone who's looking to escape a little bit of the attention, a little bit of the, yeah. uh, the emotion that comes with, with high performance. Like who have you yeah. got running around in your group at the moment? So we've got like, like Max Stevens, he's the Australian steeplechase champion. Then we've got Dan Canala. He's a sub 14 minute 5k guy, Riley Cox. Um, he's got named in a world half team. And then I live with his brother, Jacob as well. So he's, He's running really well. He's a sub thirty minute ten k runner. Um, yeah, we've got we've got a pretty good guys group at the moment. Yeah, and then and then the girls as well. Like they're they're probably even out doing us again. You know, you got like Jess Trengrove, Caitlin Adams, Izzy Batdoyle, Sarah Eccles, and like the shorter stuff. Like it's 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 definitely like I think Melbourne's definitely the benchmark in terms of like um, where the best athletes are. But we're definitely growing, which I, I really enjoy. Man, I've got as I said, I've got the softest spot for for Team Tempo and the Adelaide crew just because uh, I always tell Adam that I was the origin, like I was the inspiration to get a group started. <laughs> He's never so when I came to Adelaide, they had a group called I don't know, you've probably heard it, the DMKS they called it, the Didic Matna Casmir Squad, which was no, like I haven't heard about. Them. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe Adam hasn't told you. So it was like Adam Didic, the D, yeah. the uh, Didic Matna. So Dan Matna, who lives in America now. His yeah. now wife, her last name was Casimir or something like that, and the squ- and I came over like six months after they. So I tried to take, <laughs> I tried to change it to DMKPS, and he just he wouldn't have a bar of it. So <laughs> Team Tempo is like a nice option for me because it 
helps me just more forget neutral about, option. Yeah. Helps me forget about the fact that I wasn't included. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you can How, come over and come back to Team Tempo. <laughs> yeah, beautiful man. Beautiful. How's uh, how's Jess moving along? I was actually I was texting her this morning, but I was asking her about mm. like parents' advice. I'm I'm telling her I'm going to have to contact her because I got no idea what I'm doing, but haven't asked about her running at all. Mm. Yeah, she's going great. Um, as far as I've heard, I haven't I haven't officially seen, but they did some um testing in the lab the other day, and she's testing better than she ever has. And obviously, after just having a kid less than a year ago, it's in, insanely impressive. Yeah, like as I said, the girls' squad is killing it at the moment. Like they they went one, two, three in the local cross country just the other week. So they're on fire. Yeah, fire out, man. Mm. So who were you training with back in Melbourne? So I was just for an Audi. Yeah, so I was I was just more like those eight hundred guys. Um, we had Ben Moynihan as well. He moved over from New Zealand. He's like a fifteen guy. Um. He's actually run a pretty good 5K, John. He's run 14 flat for the 5K. Um, but I just didn't have any steeplers to train with, which is tough. Yeah, but, um, yeah. So you've you've moved over there, like, pretty much to train with Max Stevens. Like, obviously, you've got some super talented other guys to run with, but you really wanted that steeplechase companion, did you? Yeah, yeah. I think, like, like one of the things I found racing last year was I'd get into a race and I just wasn't used to jumping with people around me. So um, I knew there was a few staplers over here. Like there was like Jacob was stapling last season as well. So I just wanted to like be able to do sessions where I could like jump with people all the time. And I thought like you know where else better to go than the Australian champion? Mm. And yeah. and I knew and I knew Diddick as well from World Uni Games. So I kind of knew what he was about and like I kind of like believed in everything he was about too. Yeah, so it worked really well. That's what I like about Adam. I think he's got a he's got quite a holistic approach to your training. Like it's never just about all right. Tell me how'd your training session go yesterday. It's always like all right. How's life gone? Like, how's your stress? Yeah. How's your studies? Are yeah. you working? Like have you been getting some sleep? I, I, how have you been finding yeah. that? Like you seem like a pretty well thought out kind of guy. Like I, I can imagine a person with your character would appreciate that real broad perspective on the sport. Yeah, yeah. Like I think one of the biggest things I learned since coming over here is like measuring like load and like quantifying load and like adam adams i think one of the four runners in australia at the moment in terms of doing that and like i like i love all that like numbers and stuff because it kind of helps me like going forward when i like start podiatry work kind of under understanding like um how to put load into numbers kind of thing which is really interesting and me- measuring it as well so like that's that's a big part too like cause, like you know it's easy to log your k's but you know, you can do 10Ks easy and that can be like a 2 out of 10 or you can do 10Ks of a session and be absolutely wrecked the next day and you've got to understand. So sometimes you've got to give a bit more than like a score out of 10 to quantify it, if that makes sense. And yeah. he does a really good job at explaining that to me and recording it all. When you say load management, I was speaking to a uh, a physio here in Melbourne at a – actually, I hadn't I didn't know you were starting to be a podiatrist, but I was speaking oh, to a I podiatrist. Oh, I finished my studies, yeah. Oh, beautiful, man. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, all, it's all going in the right direction. But yeah. I, uh, I sat down with Dean Huffer, who's a physio here, and he was speaking a lot about load management. And I've, I've sort of heard a, a little bit about it. But um, how do you explain it? Like, if, if that's the first time someone's heard about load management and you've, you've perked their ears up a little bit, like, what is the, what's the story behind load management? How do you, how do you look at that? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in a very broad sense, load is everything, but when I talk about load management, you're probably looking more of the, um, like in, uh, like the running load factors. So, uh, basically there's, there's different ways you can measure it. We kind of go on a, um, we like rate our warm up, like all our runs out of 10 and then that's times by a duration load. And then on, on top of that, you've also got to like consider other factors such as like, I think a monotony factors, a, um, a big one we keep an eye on so that's um how much load over like consecutive days effectively um how much they're changing because as you know you can't just do a hard workout every single day you'll just one you'll burn out and two you'll actually just start getting limited returns on what you get so such as if you think of going for a run or training much like i guess like a pharmaceutical like taking taking a piece of medication if you have lots of medication all the time eventually you'll just stop feeling any return on that medication but you'll still get all the adverse effect effects and that's just like running in the sense that like if you just keep doing lots of hard sessions and lots of running all the time 
you're still going to have all that load on your body, but you're not actually going to be absorbing it anymore. And that's kind of what the monotony, monotony factor is on it. Yeah, that's so a great way like, to put it. Yeah. So I cut you off, man. What were you going to say? Oh, I said, and, and that's kind of like what I've learned coming over here a lot from Adam and the people over here, kind of understanding that that kind of philosophy and theory on it all, which is pretty interesting. It's funny. It's always the simple stuff. Like uh, you say load management sounds a little bit fancy, but when you look at it, it's like, all right, hey, make sure you're taking some time to recover. Yeah, like I think we've kind of been doing it already. Like, like all, look, all coaches do it. Um, I think the cool thing over here is that Adam Adam quantifies it though, like he puts numbers to it so that it can it can be measured, I guess, a bit more precisely. Um, but you know, like every coach does, like no no coach tells you to go out there and plug yourself every single day. Like mm. we all do it in some sense. It's funny though, man, isn't it? Like in the distance running world, for whatever reason, like it doesn't it doesn't really matter what level you run at. There always seems to be that lure of just trying to i guess because yeah i guess you're trying to run the threshold of getting as much work as you possibly can for um without seeing like the diminishing returns i guess i understand yeah. why we're on the threshold but it's funny to me how often we we can still get caught up in that mindset of like even though we know that it's not good for us at a certain point of just trying to smash ourselves and get a little bit more done and um yeah and, like, the results are always the same like the i love the uh, the ad- analogy you gave of the, the medication it's it's perfect like you still see the adverse effects without the benefit of the actual training so mm. it's I, I feel like this is a theme that comes up so often when I talk to runners and especially new runners it's helpful to hear that as well because they look at a bloke like you who's smashing out big k's and running fast times and going all right well if he's running 150k a week or whatever I better just try and get as close to that as I can without any necessary sort of uh stepping stones towards yeah. getting there it's just it's just yeah it's, yeah that's it and you gotta you gotta I think the biggest thing as well I learned coming over here, which is like, I mean, I think everyone does it, but I've, I've learned to overcome it a bit more over here is being a lot more on the conservative side. I think, you know, running such a catabolic, catabolic thing to do in terms of if you go for a run, you're not fitter at the end of the run. If anything, you're like tired and wrecked and run down, like it drains you. And I think too many people get into the habit of like, if, if, if you kind of dip after a run, but then that stimulates a response, they don't, they don't wait for the response before they start another hard session again. And so they're just like kind of digging themselves a hole to the end of the season. Mm. And I think that's, that's something that I've, I guess, learned to a bit more over here. I train a lot more conservative. We do a lot of work at threshold work, as opposed to probably in Melbourne, I was doing a lot more work at VO2 work, which is a bit higher intensity. And I think that's been a big change over here too in terms of letting me understand that and absorbing the training a bit more. So you mean you're doing more, when you say more threshold kind of work, you're speaking about longer, slightly slower pace in comparison to just eight by K or something? Yeah, well, actually, we, I, I probably do similar mileage, but I just do the, the mileage at a bit less intensity now. Um, and I also do less sessions a week too. So we're on a two-session-a-week program, whereas previously um, I've always trained in like the the like a traditional Australian three-session-a-week program. Um, and again, coming back to like, like what I was talking about before, that monotony um, theory, is, um, I just find I get a better response to that training session because I'm doing less of them. Mm. I'm kind of not getting in a hole as much. Yeah, yeah. it makes it makes so much sense. Like a, mm. on a practical scale, you go, of course, you're going to get more recovery. It's that... I guess yeah. it's that that scale of trying to figure out. All right, like, it, it, what's the benefit? Is the benefit going to be trying to smash out a few more Ks in another extra session, or just back it off and put more intensity in and get a little bit more? Um, what's the word? Like, just get a little bit more out of yourself for the for the second. Yeah, time. I think like I think like less is more is a is a big thing because I think like everyone at our level or everyone trying to get to our level, like yeah. Yeah, you initially get there through school by like being really motivated and wanting to do more and working really hard. So I think you hear the reoccurring thing from like past elite athletes and a lot of coaches is they're more trying to control athletes from pushing too hard all the time. So I think that's something that's finally clicked for me this year is like you're better training with an extra card in your back pocket than playing your whole hand every single day. Mm. And I think as well, like when it comes to training, you see so many gun trainers who when it comes to race day they've just left all their chips on the training Mm. track and that's something I was probably guilty of a lot of the time in my career like I'd come out and get excited and I would I'd love entering into my training diary how good a session was just because it gave me like a little bit of a I don't want to say placebo effect but just psychologically it made me get up and about like oh I'm in such good form but then there wasn't really that that like improved towards the race it was pretty much just a plateau you wouldn't see a 
a great jump. Whereas I know like Jess Trengove, she's a she's a culprit or not really a culprit. Uh, she's known for her ability to really just ramp it up on race yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. I think like I was exactly the same. Like I remember in Melbourne, I've been doing sessions. I just think I just be thinking to myself like I'm just unbeatable. Like I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone else in my event could have done these sessions, but then I'd rock up on race down and get pumped every time. And it was, it was frustrating. And then again, like you said, like, like Jess does, and she can get on race day and just go to this next level. I think all the best athletes can do that. And I think part of that too is like, um, it's, it's a mixture of like psychological, but also I think if you're doing the right training, that kind of just happens because you're not putting in 10 out of 10 efforts in training. You're training at like a seven or eight out of 10, but then on race day, you go to your 10 out of 10. Because mm. I, I was like previously always doing like knocking out heaps of nine out of tens and just like kind of doing reckless training. And like just at the time, like I thought that was the right thing to do. Um, um, and then, yeah, you get to race day and you just, you've got no extra gears. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. So uh, with those two sessions, is that a Tuesday, Saturday setup or, or how are you putting those into your week? Uh, Tuesday, Friday, but sometimes, say if I've, because we've got cross-country racing going now, sometimes it's Tuesday with a Saturday race. Um, but it's generally like Tuesday, Friday. So we can fit in two sessions, two long runs. Um, and I do two speed sessions in there as well. Yeah, okay. So, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, what's your what's your weekly structure? How does that look from like a Sunday to yeah. a Saturday? So Monday's kind of like one of the cruisier days. It might yeah. be like a, like a medium run and then a shorter run in the Arvo. Can and I just I'll, ask you? I've just got to interrupt yeah. you. Are you on Strava? Ah, uh, no, I'm not. Oh, I, okay. I, I was just yeah. really interested because you started with a Monday uh, for your training session. And I feel like that's such yeah. a Strava thing. Like all my old weeks used to start yeah. with a And then now people everywhere are starting with Monday. So I'm, I, I thought I was just doing my own little personal survey there to find out if you're one of the... Yeah, I used to be on Strava. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to be on Strava. But um, like I, I use Final Surge now because like that's how I had a lot of my training. And then I, I upload all my stuff for like um, AMS like an AIS website so it's like load monitoring as well and I just think like it's just too much data to upload all the time from on Strava as well yeah, man. sorry sorry to interrupt you I'll get back to, I'll, I'll forget about my yeah. quick for the time being get back to your training yeah so like Monday is kind of like a cruisier day it's kind of like a medium-ish run and then a shorter run um, and then I'll do some like other speed workout as well in the afternoon with the shorter run and then Tuesday morning um, we'll do a session and and that that varies depending on the time of year and stuff like that how i'm feeling and then i'll do like my strength work kind of around midday and then do a double in, in the afternoon um wednesday's like like a shorter long run so it's not quite as big as my sunday but it's, it's still a long run and then i'll do a double in the afternoon uh thursday is kind of similar to saturday it's a cruisier run it's like it's like a medium run and then a sh- a shorter run in the afternoon, Friday session, gym, double. Um, Saturday is like my recovery day, which I love. Like I love the two-week program. It's so nice having a weekend day that's not hard. I think you kind of sink in with like um, like people that aren't runners as well by having an easier weekend day, which is nice. So sometimes that'll be never more than 60. Sometimes it'll just be a half an hour job and that's it for the day. Which is really nice. Yeah, it's the best way to spend your Saturday. And then Sunday, Sunday's long run. Oh, sorry. And Thursday, I'll do a speed session as well. So I'll do two right. speed sessions a week. So, oh, yeah. So. so what's a speed session for you guys? Uh, they kind of, like, I, again, I like to vary it. Um, I don't like doing the same thing every single time. but And I keep it pretty simple. So sometimes I'll go, like, an example, a, a really basic example would just be, like, six by ten seconds. Um, sometimes I get a bit more complex. I'll do, say, Three by thirty, three by sixty, three by ninety, with like one by one fifty, um, and sometimes I'll throw in some hills instead. Um, if I just like want to practice a bit more, like knee drive, glute glute drive, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I, I vary it up a little bit, but the, it's the whole idea of it is like keep it short and keep it powerful. So on the fortnightly schedule, is that speed session, is that still each Thursday or that's every second Thursday you'll throw in a speed session? Nah, I'll do it every Thursday. So every Monday, every Thursday, I'll do that. Yeah. And what do you find? That just gives you a little bit of, doesn't, it's not too taxing. It just gives you a little bit of a pop. Yeah. Uh, like I find it, it obviously gives you a bit more speed because you, you obviously get a neural training from it. Um, so you get a lot more drive. And then like also just been reading 
a bit more recently and you, you actually get a similar kind of um, training response from doing a speed session as a long run, believe it or not. So you get increased mitochondrial development doing a, doing a speed session, which is the same. You, you obviously don't get the conditioning as a long run, but, but you're getting the same kind of response in a long run. So in a funny way, you kind of get some bang, you, you get some long run bang out of doing a speed session. Okay, yeah, so many, uh, so many uh, marathon runners are just kind of stuff it. I'm just going to start chucking in some sprints each day of the week. <laughs> I know it, it, it sounds weird, but like no, literally every single every single marathon runner should be doing a sprint session in their week. Yeah, yeah. well, I agree. Like it, it actually, you don't need to look too far just to see the marathon runners, or, or especially ultra marathon runners, or people who have just been running for years and years to see they just get that marathon shuffle going. You get so used to running at that one pace every day of the week that. Before you know it, like the idea of lifting your knees up like mm. any higher than what they've been going for the last 30 years just seem impossible. And yeah. I always like, and just from a psychological perspective, I used to love doing a, some really fast sprint work, like whether it was 80 or 100 metres or even 200, 250s, because then you'd get out on a long run and say if you were used to running five-minute K pace and that was pretty much as fast as you'd run, all of a sudden after a couple of weeks I always found that if I'd done some sprints, 4.45 started to feel just as easy, not a bit easier than yeah. like a 5 Yeah, and, you know, part of that might be the uh, increased mitochondrial growth that you're getting in your muscles, so you're a bit more aerobic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. man. I, uh, yeah. I feel like I've, I've heard that spoken about just ever so briefly, but I've never really, never really followed it up. That's super interesting, though, man. So where are you, like, what are you, what are you reading? What are you, is this part of your um, um, like studies and stuff that you've been doing for your work, or is this just out of, out of interest? Yeah, a lot of it's just like out of. I mean, they kind of they kind of tee up with each other because obviously, like going into podiatry, you obviously treat runners a lot. Like runners get a lot of banged up feet or lower legs, really. So, um, but a lot of it, yeah, I've taken interest in it. So, um, I'm keeping up to date with like a lot of the. Um, I guess I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, but Adam, Adam as well, he like works with a few physiologists from the AS. So he's pretty up to date with all this stuff, and then. Uh, there's a there's a podiatrist over in Adelaide who's really into this stuff too, Michael Mishki, and I, I pick his brain a lot as well, and he gives me some good stuff to read. He's a good fella. Yeah. He's a great fella. Yeah. I actually, um, I I saw that the Inside Running Group had had started like a, a shoe a shoe review or something with mm. with Nishki, but I haven't seen the guy yeah, for years. Him. But uh, um, are you are you doing some podiatry work over there at the moment or? Uh, uh, not at the moment. So I'll probably hopefully look to uh, start getting some work. Uh, now that COVID's hit, I haven't really been looking for that much work. But now that COVID's hit, I'll probably look at start starting to use my degree a bit more now. Yeah, it's such a gross job, man. I uh, I spoke <laughs> I spoke to John Charles, who's a podiatrist here in in Melbourne, and we're like, do you know John Charles? No, I don't. Uh, so I went in and saw him the other day and I recorded like a, on the on the membership there's a like bonus videos and stuff that the the members can watch him I, I did like a 30 minute video session with him where he just he spoke about a lot of the different conditions and uh he actually he had like a powerpoint presentation set up just of some of the patients and stuff that he had worked with and just some examples and dude there were so many gross toenails and yellow yeah. brown feet and I was like mate like that's enough to that's enough to scare me off but it's uh, yeah. It was amazing. He spoke a lot about blisters. I had a friend who messaged me a couple mm. of weeks ago and was like, hey, how do I stop blisters? And I was like, dude, I have no idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was speaking to him and he went through like a whole range of things that people, like the width of the shoe, the depth of the shoe, the kind of socks, the like the yeah. moisture in your feet. And um, yeah. from that perspective, I was like, dude, it would have been really helpful to have him around when I was trying to figure out what my plantar fasciitis was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're both pretty common ones, I guess, that I'll end up trading in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sweet man. So how's how's your form been then? How's it? Because uh, I know it's been a big change, and you sort of spoke about some of the little differences between going from Rinaldi's group over to to Adelaide. But I guess you haven't had a good chance to measure it out on any. Oh, yeah. Any races lately? I guess you well, guys have opened up more than us. Yeah, like we had a we had a cross country race a couple of weeks ago. It was a it was a short call. Oh, sorry, just two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a pretty short call. It was only four k. And I think it was, I think it was even a bit short on that. And um, like everyone, everyone turned out for it, and I, I got the win over here. So I was pretty happy with that because I've been struck. Like over track season, I was struggling to win anything over here. We've got some, we've got some pretty good runners over here. You know, we've got Adrian Potter, who's part of a different group. He's run 801, and Isaac Haynes coming up through the ranks as well. He's, a, he's a good little junior, so they keep you honest. So I, I know I'm going pretty good if I'm having them covered. Yeah. Far out. Adrian Potter, is it? 
Yeah, Adrian Potter. I haven't even heard the name yet. So what, he ran 8.01 for – how old's the guy? Uh, I think he's like a year or so older than me. But um, like I, I only uh, got to know him a bit more since moving over here. He moved from hockey just a couple of years ago. So I think his training age is pretty low. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a real talent. He's run 8.01. That's disgusting. That's such a good time. <laughs> that's for anyone who's listening who's new to running. That's for 3K and that's uh, – that's pretty mental. That's pretty mental. Because you guys, it, it's always weird. Like I felt like even when I was over there, there was a couple of randoms who would just come out and run just just huge times from time to time. Like, a, I don't know if uh, Nishiki was one of them, but Kilmeyer, was it? Do you know Robbie Kilmeyer? I think it's Robbie Kilmeyer. Yeah, like a, yeah. Every race he ever ran yeah, back there. The, I feel like, yeah, we're, we're a bit on... Oh, I'm already saying where now. Yeah, we're we're a bit underrated over here. Like, yeah, look at the last couple of years. Like, South Australia's always been featuring in the um team. They won one of the teams' event in the cross country for the Australian champs. So, yeah, it's it's definitely growing. There's a lot of depth here. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it just I guess, and you've got so many good runners in Melbourne. It's just kind of bit bit the Melbourne show. But I reckon, like, with the in distance running, we're probably the second best state now. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely by depth. I'm trying to think like, um, like WA's got a couple of really talented athletes, and I did an interview with uh, with Raf, who's a bloke I used to run around with in, yeah, in Perth, yeah. and uh, he's got some up and comers over there. But yeah, you're right. I'm I'm trying to think of anyone that would really give you guys a run for your money. Even arguably, like Jess is one of the top five athletes in Australia. Like if you put her at MTC, which I'm, I'm glad she's at Tempo because I've got a soft spot for Tempo, but um, she'd be one that's just looked up to anywhere in Australia. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Like a speaking to Adam a while ago, and he was just mentioning that you know there's there's people whose like eyes are starting to open up. These are my words, obviously, but eyes are starting to open up to the talent that's over there. But it's uh, it's still crazy to me that it's not a a bigger story than what than what it already is. But I guess you're getting to see firsthand. It's 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 much more of a um, like I guess the name Team Tempo suggests it. It's much more of a a, a group dynamic. It's almost like the way yeah. that the Kenyans operate and the way that you're almost part of the requirements of being on board at Team Tempo is making sure that it's not just about you, it's about the whole crew. So I was going to ask yeah. you about how the, the transition went across just because it's, it's awkward sometimes when you're starting with a new group, like the new mm. kid at school. Yeah, yeah. And it, and there was definitely like that, that period of, I guess, um, like breaking in and like, getting comfortable and all that. But yeah, that was, that was something that Adam kind of drawed upon when I was um, talking to him about like potentially joining. And then when I like freshly joined, he goes like, you know, like we're a team, we work together. Um, you know, these guys are going to be supporting you through training, through race day. And, and we expect the same from you straight back. Um, and that's, that's something that like, I probably, I had, when I was in Melbourne, like I had really good mates at Ronaldi squad like I'm still really good mates a lot of them but I think just being different distances and we just had very different training programs it was hard to kind of have that um like I guess training connection if that makes sense it's yeah. it's a bit hard to explain but yeah over here like 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 I live with Jacob I do the I do a very similar program to him you know like even like Max he, he's got a bit of a niggle at the moment but like he's nearly back and we'll be doing like hurdle tech together I will once Dan's back, you know, we're, we're doing track sessions together. It's, it's just a lot more. I, we just gel a lot more in terms of, like, I guess our lifestyles a lot more similar. Mm. So mm. what do the steeple side of things look like, the technical side? Because obviously the, the running is going to be very similar to what any mm. distance runner does. But how do you incorporate that, um, that technique work into the training? Yeah, so um, I've been a little slack recently, but I try to, I try to get out for once a week and just do um, specific, like, technical work um and then once once we get a bit closer to track we'll start doing sessions with hurdles in them so say instead of doing like eight by k we might do and we probably actually wouldn't do specifically this session but they, this kind of vibe it'd be like instead of doing like an eight by k you'd do like a 10 by 800 with hurdles yeah sure yeah and, and- yeah i'll go on no, no, I was just going to ask. So when you say 10 by 800 with hurdles and you've got the hurdles set up just like you're racing, is that mm. four or five a lap? Yeah, we probably set up four a lap because we, we, like, we, don't, we don't do the water jump in training. So we, we'll, and we'll just put hurdles out. So a lot of the time, actually sometimes as well, what we do is um, because the squad's a mixture of steeplers and non-steeplers, 
we'll sometimes um, get uh, we'll do reps. So I'll do like reps with Dan, um, and then we'll just veer out into lane two and jump the hurdles. Mm. Sorry, dude, I just got sidetracked because someone outside, I'm pretty sure, has just crashed their car, and I've heard a. Did you hear that? Yeah, well, I thought my my housemate just came home, so I, I thought maybe that was her. <laughs> but oh, speaking of that, how's how's this for a story? So just last night, we were I was sitting down here with one of my housemates, and then um, Jacob and his girlfriend came downstairs and go, oh, I think I think a car just crashed outside, and I was like, really? And then we went outside, and the car just cleaned up Jacob's car. So <gasps> yeah, so he's he spent all day trying to sort that out. But how's that? Oh, for- oh that's rough. Yeah, that was rough. Dude, I freak out about stuff like that. Like, even just then, um, like, obviously, if I wasn't talking to you, I'd go and check, but I'm sure that's a busy street someone's looking after. <laughs> but um, it's, it's one of those things that, like, when you when you hear something like that, your emotions go so, so high, and I get super scared to look. And I don't know if you've, um, which is probably why I'm using this podcast as an excuse not to go outside and check. I'm joking. I don't know that it was a car crash. But yeah. I was listening to Jocko Willink on, on Joe Rogan's podcast the other day. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Dude, he's like a former Navy SEAL. Um, he's just a, he's just like the ultimate man in my eyes. He's just a big, tough guy, and he's speaking about emotional training and just stepping outside your body to get away from your emotions temporarily. And mm. um, he was speaking about like when you're in the midst of combat, it's just so essential to do it. And yeah. I hear that and get scared and don't want to look. And I hear Jocko's voice in my ear all the time going, like, come on, pussy. <laughs> yeah. get, get your act together. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, just like in running, I think it's, I mean, I guess it's a lot more serious if you're in combat. But I mean, if if you look at it from, I guess, a bit more objective thing, and I guess it's all kind of like sport and body. I mean, your mind's pretty important. So mm-hmm. like, like I do, I I see a psychologist for um, I see a sports psychologist for my running as well, and that's been I reckon really um beneficial for the instance probably since the last six months I started seeing him. Oh, yeah. So what have been some of the big benefits there? Um, I guess, like, so I originally saw him, like, like, like I was saying before, I was one of those guys who could train the house down and then I kind of choke a bit on race day. Um, and so I went and saw him basically about that and we just went through a lot of, um, I guess, I kind of, I got into a lot of, like, mindfulness training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, it's kind of growing a lot, that kind of mindfulness um, um, meditation and I've, I've found it to be really beneficial so I find I started off just kind of doing it just around day-to-day life and then I started incorporating it in my running and you're just kind of thinking about fatigue a bit more objectively rather than emotionally so you know like when so when your legs are screaming instead of you just like I guess gritting your teeth and having a grunt and trying to like like push through you, you instead, I guess, embrace it and, and think objectively about what's going on. So I'll, I'll, instead of, I, I guess, just having a meltdown towards fatigue now, I'll be thinking a bit more objectively about, all right, now nah, keep your cadence up, keep your form up, keep um, um, keep relaxed until the next point sort of thing. So it's just, I guess, different cues to relax you a bit more so that you can um, deliver better. Yeah, that's really good. So is that something that you practice just when you're running or is it like you'll do your – meditation mindfulness practice before you go out and then just try and help that transfer into other areas of your, your um, life so i guess so far since doing it it's been a bit of like a growth thing so i started off not doing it with my writing just because i was pretty new to it so i started off just doing simple things like you start off just breathing and practicing like mindfulness breathing and then like i'd go and like walk so i'd sit in the park and practice it there and then eventually i'd start doing it on my jogs and then eventually I, I moved up into sessions and then like it, the idea of it is that it becomes like an automatic cue. So you, you don't have to just constantly think about it. And I've, and so like even the last race, like now I just, it's just like, it's, it's a bit more autonomous now. Like I just start doing it, which is like, that's the whole idea about it. And then now I'm just trying to focus on getting it more earlier before I start fatiguing. So instead of like now the fatigue, being a trigger to start doing it i'm mm. trying to start doing it before the fatigue is dude i'm fascinated but it's, all, it's all a growth thing yeah 100 yeah. percent. i've got this book here because i'm right into the um the the mindfulness side of things as well and mm. uh like it's it's funny man because i come from like a christian tradition but so much of what buddhists speak about like in the they're, they're the kings when it comes to 
to meditation, yeah. obviously. And I've been reading this, but I don't know if you can see it, Awakening the Buddha yeah. Within. Like, I feel like yeah. such a hippie showing it. But uh, just last night, he was speaking about how um, our, our, like, essentially our concentration or our mind is, is a muscle which can be worked out. And, and I know yeah. this, like, dude, I, like, I'm all happy. I'll, I'll laugh and muck around with my mates, but... I, I get too irritable and impatient at just ridiculous things, like if technology yeah. glitches or um, – and it's purely an emotional thing. And I was laughing with you before as like a, a little quirky example of confronting fear or confronting pain when you see mm. it like external to you. But I think just the amount of – especially – I don't know if this is a, a massive stereotype, but I feel like a lot of guys in general just aren't as open to speaking about um, like the emotional sides of things and the capacity yeah. that we have to actually – um, step away from the emotion and not let it run our life. So it's it's fascinating, man. And I always I often think that back when I was competing, it would have been something that I had I known now what I knew had I known then what I know now would have been super valuable to my performance. Because as you say, like you mm. can step away and have some practical tools to be able to implement rather than just going, oh my gosh, I hurt. Like this is yeah, this is really yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's it's like it's pretty just like I guess mentally taxing like like for me like even just on like my like general mental health like it's it's taxing like I remember like like once it starts happening regularly it, you just feel so um I guess oh like lost and like what to do like I remember when I was in Melbourne like I I, I saw a sports like for a little bit but like it didn't quite gel with her and I, I just couldn't work out why I was I was folding so much on race day despite training really well. And then like that builds up. Whereas like now I find, cause I've, I've kind of built up this like mindfulness, I guess it, it's a, I guess it's a skill. Um, I've, I've kind of built it up a bit more. You're just so much more in control, whether it's like physically, oh, it's physically and mentally, it's a lot more in control and you feel like you can analyze what's gone wrong better. Um, and then by analyzing what's going wrong better, that's, that's how you improve. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And it's so funny how quickly you can – all I have to do is have a look back at, like, the last week of my life and realise how many things I was wrong about that I thought were going to happen. And it's mm. like so much of what we think is it, – it's just it doesn't end up happening anyway, but we can get ourselves so stressed and worked up based oh, yeah. on, like, our anticipation of the future, which I guess is, like, a natural part of being human. But if you can step back from that and see it more objectively, it's like it's a really helpful skill. Yeah, and especially, like, for me, too. Like, I'm I'm naturally a really emotional person. So I found once I got this right, like, once I can start, like, I want to think objectively. Like, when I, like, like I read a lot of studies and do all that, and, like, that's obviously, like, I, I like quantifying everything. So I want to think objectively, but I'm naturally quite an emotional person. So I found, like, this has had a real big impact, not just on my running, but just, like, my general stress levels, like, how I go about my day. I'm more relaxed. Like, I find I can have an afternoon nap if I need a lot easier now like it's just like everything's just a lot more yeah down you're down with like easier now that's really cool yeah man it's interesting that you say that like you don't strike me as a emotional kind of person I mean that as a compliment like when you speak Mm. you sound very well thought out and you sound very you know I think of an emotional person as a little bit all over the place like up and down and um but you you seem super super in control Uh, is it like a little bit the duck legs under the surface sometimes yeah, it's probably better that. Like, um, and and like again, like I've I've kind of like I sp- I spend a lot of time I guess working on this, especially the last six months. I've worked a lot on it. Like I reckon I've probably changed. If you met me say, even just like three years ago, I'd be a lot more emotional. Like I I because it, it's good. Like I kind of like it. Emotions are good in a sense. Like I find I used to just thrive off like a, a big emotion of having a big personality. Um, and, and that is good. And I still kind of like try to indulge in that, like when it's good, but, um, I do work hard through my running, not letting it control me. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot better at it now. Yeah. But I, I, I am still like in heart, probably an emotional person. I just, I just think about it more now and I realize when it's going to happen. So I'm a bit more in control of it. If that makes yeah. sense. But the, the, it, it still crosses my mind. Like that's just part of my personality. Yeah, no, it's really cool, man. And I think it, it seems to come with the territory of, of our age. Like, I know you're a few years. What are you, 25 or 26 or something? Yeah, 25. Yeah, I'm, I'm 33. And I know, like, my mid-20s as well was a time where I started to become a lot more interested in that. And I speak to – I listen to a lot of people who are who are way further down the road than me, like, whether they're in their late 60s, early 70s or, or older. And a lot of them say, like, that the, the, you sort of mid-20s to your mid-40s, a lot of the time, if you, if you haven't done the work, is like a super emotional – 
super emotional yeah. time because you're, you're navigating like career and life and sport and yeah, I guess yeah. you're trying to set a foundation for the rest of your life and there's some really big decisions to be made in there. So it, it sort of makes sense. And then, um, yeah, it's nice, man. It's, it's really cool. And I think coming from a running background as well, it's nice to be able to go, oh, well, like, okay, I can see that training improves my performance here and just because something didn't work doesn't mean if I adjust it it won't so it's a nice it's a nice little way to take into other areas of your life like mindfulness is that is that something yeah. that you've just been working with a sports psych about or have you been reading a lot about it yourself um so I've, I've got a pretty cool sports psych um his name's Chris Hamilton he was actually the sports first sports psychologist in Adelaide and um he he kind of he kind of works by getting me to do a lot of the research so he kind of guides me in the right direction so, so such as like, you know, I was talking about, um, you know, like panicking when I get like stress and fatigue and he goes, oh, look, I think you're getting stress fatigue. Um, go look at mindfulness, develop, like have, have a read on all different things, different articles, um, and then develop your own, your own, um, kind of 10 week program, which is like a three week intense, like you do a lot of mindfulness and then you try to create it to be a bit more autonomous. And, and the cool thing. Think, well, I'm ranting a bit now. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. And, and, and the cool thing is, is that um, I then go away and I do all the research on it because it's a very personal thing. You know, like what works for me might not work for you or might not work for someone else. So if you read all these different ways of going about mindfulness training, like I just picked and choose which ones I liked the most. Because like, the, like for example, the biggest thing that stood out for me was um, doing mindfulness meditation shouldn't feel like a chore. It shouldn't like you shouldn't you shouldn't feel like oh this is such a burden to go do this like it it should just be a, a thing that is just happening mm-hmm. so that was the biggest thing that stood out for me whereas if I hadn't read that and say he just told me go do this then I would have missed the whole boat I would have missed the whole thing because I'd I'd be sitting down and doing a chore yeah yeah that makes so much sense it's so much easier to do things you enjoy so if you're if you're out there and you, you like now you start to feel the pinch like you're going up one of the big hills mm. out at Belair mm. <laughs> yeah. you're racing like what does that process look like from a like what goes um, on inside your head now yeah so obviously um probably right now the point I'm at now I've I feel the pinch and then it starts triggering this response where I'm like all right um relax focus on your breathing focus on what you have to do to get the most out of your body rather than just um I guess tense up and push and grind I guess is the biggest way of um explaining it it's it's tough to explain because a lot of it's I guess just understanding your body and just listening to your body and I guess thinking about what's going on objectively because like you know when you're blowing up in a race in the race distances we run you're blowing up because your body's telling you to stop it's I'm sorry your mind's telling you to stop you're not blowing up because you've run out of glycogen stores Yes. Like we're not running for two and a half hours. We're, we're running and it's, it's, it's hydrogen, iron, lactic acid that's going on that's you, your mind telling your body to stop. So you just got to like really re- relax is the biggest thing and, and think objectively about what you have to do rather than thinking emotionally and panicking. Yeah, yeah, it's so true, man. That's really good. I, I reckon that's going to be a theme that clicks with a lot of a lot of the members like one of the I, I put out a question to a couple of members uh, a while ago saying hey what are you enjoying what do you want more of and mm. and a few of them messaged back saying like I'm really enjoying the the mindfulness or the the mindset stuff and I, I still think mm. for a sport like running that we know it's so physical and so mental I don't like I've had I think this is episode like 45 now or something like that and there's not a mm. heap of conversations that that come back to this it seemed it still seems to be like a little bit of of Maybe, maybe people, uh, some people are a little bit more closed off when it comes to speaking mm. about like the, like emotions and things like that, mm. which could be part of it. But it just, it seems that it's an area of, of running that, or life that can just be tapped into so much more fully, mm. which is, which is what yeah. it sounds like you're and, doing. Yeah. And like, to be honest, like, I, I, I fully get why like a lot of um, people like, like I'm, I'm a bit like that. I don't really like talking too much about like my, my deep emotions and stuff like that. Um, but but like as as I was saying before, like I, I think in like systems, I think in I think objectively, and, and the cool thing is like you got to find the right, I guess, psych or program that works for you. And for me, like Chris works really well for me because he he comes at it from that angle. You know, he like we did a personality test the first the first time I saw him, so that he knows about like what direction and how he should like get me to. Um, I guess read certain things or how I should go about um, 
researching certain things that are they're gonna appeal to my personality. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's really important because like I was I was seeing a sports like in Melbourne and it was a bit more um it was a bit less objective based and it was a bit more I guess like emotional based and like it just didn't like what it might have clicked really well with someone else but for me like I just I just didn't really understand that much there wasn't that much measurement going on and I, it was hard for me to see improvement whereas yes. this one's a lot more measured. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. What was the personality test that he he got you to do? Oh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was like a it was, it was like a big multiple choice like hundred hundred point thing that I filled out and then handed it back to him and then he analyzed it and yeah, sp- spat out the results. <laughs> awesome, man. Oh, there's a there's a really cool one that you you might enjoy. It's called I don't know if you've heard of the Enneagram. No, I've, I'm I'm actually not that well researched in it. I was just kind of um I just kind of liked how he went about it in a very um I guess scholarly fashion. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a real appreciation for the research, obviously, that backs it all up. You yeah. don't just want to go something like, oh, someone goes, no, trust me, this will work. You want to actually know. You want to see the numbers and be able to quantify, yeah. like you said. That makes sense. Yeah, and that's like, I, again, that's why I got gel so well with Adam as well, because I know everything he does, he's like, there's a reason to why he does it, and there's a reason to why he prescribes it. And it's it's mostly based off, like, research and studies. Like, even even just um, this morning, yeah, this oh, it might have been last night, but I checked it this morning. He... um like sent me this um, paper by, who was it? Who wrote it? It was, I, anyway, I can't remember exactly who it was. He, he, sent, he sent me this paper that was on like drafting and how much it actually affects people and um, what the research suggests, like how different, actually it was interesting, how different runners affected, are affected by drafting more than others or less than others. Drafting is, is in the sense of just sitting behind someone and just. Yeah. So, you know, how like in cycling, there's obviously a huge drafting effect. So yeah. in running, there's obviously a less drafting effect, but this kind of found that um, you're probably towing the equipment. Say so if, if you're not drafting someone else um, off someone else, then you're probably pulling the equivalent of like a bag of apples worth of weight. Yeah. So so if you think about like an elastic band, if you, if you, if you like hold a bag of apples up and that's like how much force to hold it up, if you then twist that sideways and pull it backwards on you, that's roughly how much. But what was really interesting about it is just like there's a lot of like you, you just like a lot of I guess training methods and like in some of these new shoes that have come out, some runners are more respondent than others to this. So some runners are more taxed by this, and some runners are less taxed by this, which I thought was like really interesting. So that's, like some that's some, super yeah. interesting. Yeah. So some people when they're not drafting, they might only be towing one apple. Some people might be towing like a two kilo bag worth of apples. Has that just got to do with like the size of the athlete and their strength and stuff, or or like if um, you're a Dave McNeil versus like a I don't know who's a, a Chris Selinski back in the day, would that be a would yeah? That be that's a that's that's kind of how I was thinking about it. It didn't it didn't say exactly what it could be, but um, I'm I'm guessing it's something to do with yeah strength, um, yeah muscular strength. Yeah, mm. well, it would be super annoying towing along a bag of apples for any race. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, awesome, man. Well, what's uh, what's on for the for the rest of the week then? Like, is it, it's been a weird time, man. Like, I, I know you're starting to come out the other side of it now in the sense that you can actually target your race, your training towards races and stuff like that. But have you got, um, like, I know we've spoken out, outside of the podcast a number of times about, like, you having a crack towards Tokyo, which is, like even that's just been a spanner in the works trying to train towards that. But maybe for yeah. like your position, even giving you a couple more months to add some strength and a, a few more, few more tools to your kit. Yeah, like I'm probably, um, it was, I guess it was a bit of a blessing for me because I was having a pretty bad season last season. I was not on track to make it, so I'm I'm kind of looking at this as like a big opportunity for me to kind of have another shot, have another chance at it. Um, but yeah, I guess at the moment I don't want to. Obviously, that's the big goal, but I guess the shorter goals at the moment is, again, just like building those layers through winter, um, trying to get some of my longer track times down. So, oh, sorry, just longer distance times down. So, like, I wouldn't mind bettering my 10K a little bit. Um, definitely need to better my 5K a bit more. Um, and then that way that puts me in a really strong position where I'm a bit more of a, a well-rounded runner going into track season so that I can have a, a bit more of a crack at, that, at those steeples. Sure. You started well last season, didn't you? Like, I'm thinking back to yeah. like, and, and we ran and you just, I think you won a mileless race 
I didn't win. I came second. I, I had, yeah, I had a, I had a big start to the season. I ran a big 10K PB and then I ran, um, I ran pretty strong in a mileage 1500. I came second in a pretty strong field, but then, um, yeah, the wheels just fell off and, um, I don't know. I think it was a mixture of, um, like physiology and psychology. And I think it starts to snowball a bit too. Like once one thing starts going wrong, you have one bad race and, like psychologically you start worrying about it and then you you might be training a bit off because you're like, oh, I'm un, am I fit enough? I need to train a bit harder. And then as soon as you start doing that, your training's off, your psychology's off, that, that snowballs, that snowballs more. And then, yeah, it just, it ended badly. So I'll, I'm pretty happy I've been given a, it's, it's all been pushed back and I'm, I'm given a chance to, I guess, have another shot at it next year. Yeah, it is uh, nice. this, this year, next year. Yeah, yeah, what is it? So, what did you say this year, next year? What's that? Yeah, so like I was, I was just thinking more like as in the 2020, 2021, like kind of season. Yeah, but yeah, it'll be next year. That's exciting. So, what, what, do, what do you need to run for steeple to, to qualify? Uh, 822 is the um, like automatic qualifier, or you can get it off the um, ranking system. But like the way athletes are improving now, like there's, I just feel like there's been a big jump. Um, in you know in this olympic cycle so i reckon if you're not running eight sub 822 you have to be pretty close to the mark anyway like i don't think you i don't think you'll be able to make it unless you're a sub 825 guy sure and, and even, what, even if you're a sub 820 even if you're only say an 824 or five guy i think you'll have to win the right races sure yeah okay oh that's good so with the with the steeple so there is i didn't realize that there was still just like a flat out cold hard qualifying time i thought it was all by this point system now Nah, they, they still have, I think all the events have an auto qualifying time, um, and the the idea was that with it was that it'd be pretty fast and that about half the field would get it. But I think we're finding now, like particularly in the men's marathon, um, like the men's marathon, the entire field has got it. Like they're now taking, <laughs> they're they're now increasing the field size because so many people have run the time. So there's just been this jump in in um, I guess expectations in performances going into this Olympic year that um, I guess everyone's rising to. And, mm. and part of that might be due to, I think, maybe the harder qualifiers. You know, people are, are, are training a bit harder, a bit smarter to, to get those tougher qualifiers. It's been interesting to watch some of the big performances that have happened over the break, like in the time trials. And um, you probably saw that Melbourne Track Club did a time trial around yeah. the town. Dude, I know, was, they were flying, weren't they? It was so awesome, man. Like, it was... It was so crazy. Like, uh, you probably saw it all the times, but I was as good as Stewie was. I was also super impressed with Jack Rayner, who, like, yeah. he hasn't raced since his marathon last year, and he comes out and he was four seconds behind Stewie in his like. And then well, I remember, him, I remember him saying as well. He was like, "Oh, it's, it'd be good to go under ten fifty <laughs> and he smashes ten twenty out of the park. <laughs> He's such a he's a gunman. Like I've, I've I don't yeah. know him. I don't know him super well. He must think I'm a muppet because I've been trying to get him on the podcast. And uh, like I live in Hawthorne here, and uh, it was so funny because I've been speaking to a lot of the MTC crew in my head. I just me and Jack Rayner were mates, yeah. but he has no idea. And I I walked past him down. I saw him down on Glenferry Road here in Melbourne the other day. Yeah, and uh, I was like, hey Jack, how you doing, man? And he looked at me like who are you bro like what the and I, I had the yeah. mo- I was with my wife and I was like dude like uh and then I didn't know what to say because I was like crap I'm just some weird fanboy now so I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to show him how super cool I am but I'm yet to have the chance I walked away from that chat yeah. and my you, you know my wife Jessie you met her a couple of yeah, times yeah 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 she yeah. was like babe like that was the most awkward interaction I'd ever <laughs> seen so now in my head I'm like oh crap I gotta show Jack Rayner how cool I am it's just yeah. I've got a lot of work to do bro it's not gonna happen with oh, he's, an, he's an awesome guy Jack like he'll he'll he's he's always got time for a chat. He's one of the nice guys running, I reckon. I do. Yeah. I agree because I spoke to him. I spoke to him at the the tan briefly after that interaction, and I was like, yeah. "Bro," and he's like, "Hey, how are you?" And I was like, "Mate," <laughs> I go, "Do you know who I am?" He goes, "Yeah, I know who you are." I go, "What about our chat the other day?" And he's laughing. He's like, oh, "Don't worry, bro." He's like, "Um, I said I, I was a fanboy, wasn't I?" He goes, "A little bit, but it's cool. Don't worry." <laughs> yeah, I can. I can. A lot of people are fanboying him now. Like he's got like what fourteen thousand. Other followers, his Instagram blowing up. Like since he's been that, since he's done that um that Ineos thing and run um run like that two ten marathon, like he's he just exploded onto the scene. That's oh, and he beat and he like it all started by then like beating Centro in a five k a couple of years ago as well before he did all that. That's yeah. right. 
That's I yeah. put him. I had a. Do you know Craig Engels, the American miler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on the the members podcast the other day, and I, I feel like I put those two in the same category. Like they both rock a gorgeous mustache, super laid back. They just give you the vibe that not much phases them, and uh, yeah, they're just and they're just guns. Like they're so naturally yeah. talented. No, that's cool, man. That's cool. But uh, dude, thanks for coming on. I'm glad we finally lined it up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, oh, a man. lot of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just it's just a good excuse for a chat and to pick your brain about running and all things Mandy Clark, bro. But um, mate, like we'll, we'll do it again. Like we'll we'll get you yeah. on again. And once the um once the Olympics get like I know they're locked in or whatever, but once they're locked in and and, and you're you're targeting towards them, like we'll we'll touch base if you're keen, you got time and, and do a little progress update because mate, I like talking to you and I'm sure plenty yeah. of other people would have got heaps out of that chat. So you're always welcome on here, brother. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. 